God, we come to you right now. And um, God, we believe that, that you are the one that's working. Even if we don't see, see it, even if we don't feel it, uh, God, we believe that you are here working in our midst. God, we believe that you're big and you're strong and you're real. God, we believe that you're kind and gracious and merciful. God, we also believe that you want every single one of us to have a phenomenal relationship with you and that it would leave us unbelievably satisfied. God, I pray we would believe that was true and that we would experience it. And for this time as we're gathered together, God, God would you help me to listen to what your spirit would say? God, I pray that you would fill me and help me to teach. God, I pray for every single man, woman, and child that's in this building right now and all the people who are watching online. God, we're asking that your spirit would work in a way that you would give all of us ears to listen to what you would say to us through your word. So God, uh, God, I'm asking that you would guard my mouth and fill my heart and mind with your spirit and you would work in, in and through all of us. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. All right, everyone, um, we're going to be continuing our, our book in Philippians. And again, I just want to say this real quick. My name is Fias. If you're visiting today, I'm the lead pastor here at North Florida. I would love to get a chance to meet you today. I'll be down front at the end of the service. I would love to just say hey to you real quick if you're visiting. And then I want to make a few announcements as uh, the band's heading down. I want to let you guys know about a few things that are going on. The first thing is this. We've been canvassing the Macon community over here to our uh whatever direction this is. In that area, uh, I tried to do a direction and realized I don't know which way is east, west, north, south. So I'm just going to, I'm going to point. We've been canvassing our neighbors right around this block as part of the question we're asking, how can we serve our neighbors and make the community better? Um, we've been doing that for several weeks now. This is actually going to be the last week that we do it. Uh, we're going to be finishing off in the, in the, the housing authority um, the Tallahassee housing that's right down the road here. I think it's called Pinewood. Uh, so we'll be finishing off there this next Wednesday night. So we'd love for you to join us. We're actually inviting all of the people in the neighborhood to our fall, fe fall festival, which we're doing October 31st, uh, kind of as a gift to the community. We know a lot of people are struggling about what to do for trick-or-treat and Halloween. And listen, we love kids and we love giving kids candy. So what we want to do is we're setting up a whole bunch of games on our football field because we're uniquely spaced with this campus to be able to have a lot of people here that are spaced out and spread out and it can be COVID friendly. So um, we're going to be giving out free hot dogs and free popcorn and free snow cones until it runs out and free candy as long as you bring tons of candy. So that's my sales pitch. We need tons of candy. There's buckets in the tables in the back. We also need more people to sign up to help run the games that we'll set up and more people to sign up to help clean up everything at the end of it. That's going to be October 31st. So if you have no plans, if your neighborhood feels like it's dead um, and you're not sure what they're doing, we would love to have you help us serve our neighbors here on the football field um, on October 31st. I'm actually really excited about that. I'm, I'm, I don't know if anyone's going to come, but either way, we've tried and I'm pumped about it. Um, and as we get into this message today, that's, that's all for my announcements. I, I want to start by asking you a simple question. And let me be honest, as I've been studying this passage this week, it's been, um, it's been really good for me, but it's also been very, very challenging for me. What Paul is about to say as we're getting to the end of the Philippians here, it, it's just shockingly challenging, I think, especially in today's time. And, and here's the question that I'm going to start by asking us. Are you content with your life right now? Maybe if I just said, are you content and left it there? Are you content? I mean, how often would you say that most of your days and most of your life can be described by you experiencing a sense of contentment with the state of your life and what you're experiencing in life, all that stuff, uh, contentment. 
That's the thing that Paul talks about today. And I think that contentment is a very difficult thing for many of us to get to. When, when we talk about being content, it feels like it's almost, it's like almost always out of reach. There's always something that I want that isn't here now or that I don't have. And uh, there's like this constant low grade fever almost of discontent that many of us live with. I, I read this poem. I, I don't read a lot of poetry. So this is like a Listen, we're going high class today, everyone. There's, I'm about to read a poem to you. Uh, don't worry, it was written by a 14-year-old boy. So it's not going not gonna to be that good of a poem. It does not start with roses or red or violets or blue. But, but when I saw this poem, it's a, by, uh, a, I think his name is Jason Lehman or John Lehman. I forgot his first name. Written by a 14-year-old boy in 1989. L- listen to this poem. And uh, I think it kind of rhymes, but again, I'm not a poet. Here's what he says. It was spring. But it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer. But it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall. But it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was now winter. But it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 that I wanted. I don't know what 20-year-olds want to be 30, but okay, that's not part of the poem. To be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted. The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged that I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. Listen, that little, that little 14-year-old, that 14-year-old boy, I, I think he wrote some phenomenally, had some insight that was phenomenally deep into how hard it is for many of us to even have contentment. Like that, that we would over and over again constantly be longing for something that isn't here. And when it gets here, we don't even enjoy what's here. We're looking forward to what we still want to have come. And then we start looking backward to what's already passed. I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back. And then we spend our whole lives with this dull ache of discontent. And, and the other thing is this. I feel like our contentment has a bullseye on it. Every, every marketer and salesman goes after our contentment. They want to make us discontent with what we've got so that we will buy whatever they're selling, right? And so everyone, every commercial, every TV show, listen, the news, everyone wants to make me discontent so I will do and buy whatever they want me to do and buy. And so it's constantly being attacked over and over and over again. So I decided, man, if someone was feeling really discontent, what would they do to figure out contentment? So I Googled it, which, uh, is that what y'all do whenever you're having, uh, is it embarrassing that Google's our counselor? I, I don't know, but I assume that Google is our counselor. Uh, and it's how I learned to fix everything around my house is Google and YouTube. So why not figure out how to fix my discontentment? So I Googled how to be content. Listen, the, the answers were just insane. I mean, they, they were, I mean, I read it, I'm like, that's not going to make me any happier. But, but some of them actually sounded good. Let, listen, let me, let me read some of the stuff that I saw online for people's answers for contentment. First one, you need to get rid of stuff. There's too much stuff in life, so you, you got to get rid of things. The minimalist life is the answer for contentment. If you've got too much stuff, you're not going to have contentment. 
Others answered, you need to make sure that you were taking time to achieve inner peace with meditation. Your problem is not too much stuff, it's too much busyness. So you need to remove busyness and just, like get, get away and get an app and download it and hit play and listen and quiet and peace and serene until you get inner peace and contentment. Or, or you got to fight the comparison game. You focus on inner emotional health. Don't compare what other people have or what they've achieved. You just worry about you. Or you need to preach this to yourself. You need to focus on the positives in life and tell yourself that life is perfect. Those are, those are the best answers. I don't want to tell you the stupid ones that I saw because they were just stupid. I don't know what else to say. And yes, there are dumb answers to things like how to be content. But, but that was the best answers they gave. Like, believe that things are good. Look at the positive in life. Believe that your life is perfect just as it is. Create more time for family, have vacation, all these other things. But there was something that bothered me about that. Is it true that my problem, the things that take away commitment or contentment, is too much stuff or too much things in my schedule? Is too much stuff really the thing that steals my contentment? Because if that's true, then people who are poor should be really, really content. So then I Googled how to be content if you're poor. Now, uh, that had a whole different set of answers. You know, I, one of the things I did before I came here was I was a missions pastor. So I didn't just deal with American poverty. I dealt with global pov poverty, which is ridiculously intense. And it's a massive problem in our world. When you look at the number of people that live off of less than $2 a day. Man, if stuff is the thing that causes discontentment, they should be the happiest people in the world. One person wrote this in an answer to being content as a poor person. Uh, they say money doesn't buy happiness. Whoever said that has never been poor. I'm not saying rich people are all happy. We all know that's not true. But there's a certain level of financial security that is required. And by that, I mean to have enough money to buy groceries, to pay rent, to afford gas or bus fare, to buy necessary clothing, to buy shoes, to pay for medicine or dental care or utilities and phone, to put some away for retirement or emergencies, even to pay your taxes or to buy home insurance. Listen, for some people, the answer for contentment is not I need to have less. The, the answer is I just need the basics, man. I just, I just need to have the basics. So I'm looking at this and, and I'm asking myself the question, is the answer for my low-grade content discontentment that I feel, that we have, is that we either have too much or too little, that what we need to get is my contentment is supposed to be right there in the middle somewhere. I, I have to achieve just the right amount of stuff, not too much, not too little, just the right amount of vacation, not too much, not too little, just the right, right amount of family and good times, not too much, not too little. Is that contentment? Is the answer to contentment balance and a positive attitude? You know, I, I started looking in verses for this. I found one verse that stood out to me. It's Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. The wisdom of Proverbs. This guy says this, um, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full. Like, give me just enough food. Not, don't let me become full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? 
or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. There's some wisdom here that we see in the Proverbs. It says, listen, listen, if I get too much stuff, I might just pretend like God doesn't exist. I don't need him. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need anything. If I get too poor, I might get jealous and angry and, and start stealing. I might get desperate. I might do wrong things to feed myself. God, don't let me be too poor and don't let me be too rich. That's what the, the proverb says. And I got to be honest. I think there's a part of that, that that is true. There is a form of contentment, a basic contentment that is found in not having too much or in ha not having too little. I, I think that's true. But is there a better contentment than that? I mean, is there a contentment that I can have that isn't connected to all the stuff that I have or the situations that I'm, can I actually be content if I'm really, really rich or if I'm really, really poor? Can I actually be content if all my family is around me and if no one is around me? Can I be content if my job is really stressful and can I be content if my job is really easy or if I don't even have a job? Is that even possible? Like I, I agree, we can have a low level of contentment, a basic contentment if we can somehow find, strike the right balance, but that feels really fragile to me, right? Doesn't that feel fragile to you? I mean... Listen, if, if I have to strike the right contentment, like it feels almost impossible. Like it, there's like this constant like, oh no, I got to raise. Is it going to steal my contentment? Oh no, like my boss is acting crazy. I'm going to lose my job. Is that going to steal my contentment? Like it almost becomes impossible. You will chase it forever and never really get that balance. I, I want a contentment that can't be taken away based on my circumstances, right? I, I want a contentment that is satisfied no matter what's happening around me. I want that type of contentment. I want something that's deep and real and lasting and secure that no one or nothing can take from me. That's the contentment I want. I don't want a contentment that's put in my boss's hands or my job's hands or my circumstances' hands. Those things will rob me all day long of a weak and fragile contentment. Let me put it this way. Can I be content? Can you and I be content if in the next few months, whoever your candidate is doesn't get elected? Can, can we be content if the stock market crashes and the bank calls for your house loan, then you lose your home and your job goes away and your health begins to go downhill and there's no money and no insurance? Could we be content? Could you be content if your candidate does get elected and the stock market explodes and you get raises and all of a sudden you're swimming in the money and you win the lottery. Would you be content then? You might say to the second one, absolutely. I let me win the lottery and give me everything I want. I'll be perfectly content. But I would suggest to you uh, the challenge of contentment is going to be that you're content regardless of ton have tons of money or not. And so let me look at this because I actually believe that it's possible I believe that it's possible for us to have the kind of contentment that is permanent and unattacked by all the chaos that happens. So, so let me uh, hop into Philippians. It's going to be in Philippians chapter 4. And let me give you a quick review of what's going on. Because we're coming to the end of Philippians. Here's a review of what's going on. Paul is sitting in a Roman prison cell. And uh, he's sitting there and he's heard about this church in Philippi that he helped start. Uh, and let me remind you how he started it. He started by getting thrown into prison, by getting beaten, by singing in a prison cell. And the 
fellow jailers got saved. I mean, they've seen this stuff and he hears that these people in Philippi, this church that he loves, they're beginning to have some issues. There's persecution in the city. They're fighting amongst themselves. So he's writing them in the midst of that to tell them that Jesus is better. Listen, now we know that this church he's writing to is filled with people from all sorts of different ethnicities and social backgrounds. We've got rich Lydia who he was living with that was a wealthy businesswoman. And we've got a slave girl that was demon-possessed that Paul released. You've got the jailer in the Philippian church who got saved when Paul was in prison. And you've got the, the ex-cons who were in prison with Paul. Those people are all mixed together in the church, Jews and Gentiles, all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of experiences, all sorts of standings. And they're in the middle of this church. And Paul is telling them, listen, I want you to rejoice in Jesus and love each other well. Almost an impossible call to the church. And I want to read a passage. Open up your Bibles before we get into Philippians to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want us to see... Um, cause Paul's in prison and he's about to talk to him about contentment in the middle of all this. I want you to see the experience of Paul's life as he talks about just the things he went through in ministry. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. He's describing what he went through, just parts of it. And he says this on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. There's a theme here. It's called danger. Like, listen, one of the things that Paul experienced doing ministry was constant danger and pressure and discontent. And not just danger to be uncomfortable, danger to be dead. Like D-E-D, dead. Like, that's the thing. All these things are on the edge of killing him and harming him seriously. By the way, I know I didn't spell dead right in case uh, that was not a, not a typo, but that's... Okay, I'm moving on. Look at verse uh, 27. Not just danger, he's also in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food. There were tons of times I didn't even have food to eat in cold and exposure. Listen, so Paul's normal experience as an apostle and a minister of the gospel, he's going out to cities, he's planting churches, he, he feels danger, he feels suffering, he feels the pressure of robbers and all that tension. He knows what it's like to be homeless and not have clothes that are warm enough to keep him warm. He knows what it's like not to know where his next meal is coming from, to go significant amounts of time without food. Right, So he knows the really difficult things of life. And he is going to say in the verses that we look at today is that he knows how to be content in all of those circumstances. He's going to say, listen, uh, when I didn't have food to eat, I learned to be content. That's, that's phenomenal. Listen, the thing we're going to look at, if this is true, that means that we can be content, every single one of us, can be content regardless of our circumstances. It sounds almost impossible, but I don't think he was just zapped with it. Something happened, and so we're going to read that here. Let's take a look at it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. And now we're finally in the book of Philippians uh, again. So verse 10, he says this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. 
You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So here's Paul. He's saying, listen, I was really happy when I heard that, that you were sending people to help care for my needs while I was in prison. I wasn't happy because you were sending me money. I was happy because you had an opportunity to express love for me. We'll, we'll talk more about that next week. He, he's not trying to guilt them. He's saying, listen, it's not that you weren't concerned. You just didn't have the chance to do it. I, I get that. That's what he's saying. He's not trying to guilt trip them. But, but here's what he says, verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. And the word need there is, is actually the extreme type of poverty. Like, not that I'm talking about going hungry. I'm not talking about that. He's trying to make sure they don't feel guilt tripped. He, he's obviously not a Baptist because he would have guilted the snot out of them if he was a Baptist. Anyways, verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. And here's what he says. For I have learned, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Let me read that again. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Like, listen, Paul, like you're telling me that when you were shipwrecked or you were in prison or when you were hungry or when you homeless without clothes, you were content. That sound crazy to anyone else. I try to imagine myself in that situation. Me and my wife and kids on the street in the winter without warm clothes and without food. And if some pastor walked up to me and said, be content, I, that, that wouldn't go down real well for me. I got to be honest. I, there's something I got to learn here because I think that's exactly what Paul's saying. He was in that situation and he was still content. And he's writing to people in the church who are not all wealthy. He's writing to people in the church who are suffering persecution and he's saying, I'm content in prison. I've learned to be content in every situation. I want you to do the same. So I looked up what that word content meant because not contentment. Okay, that was a play on words I did not mean to do. I looked up the word contentment in the Greek that Paul uses here. I wanted to see what that word meant. Not content. Anyways, uh, before I digress about the stupid things that I'm saying, let me, it was a weird word. It's a word that Stoics actually used. And the idea is that it means you're totally satisfied with your current state, that you don't have any need from your mindset. Like no matter what comes your way, you're completely content, whether it's you, you don't need other people to help in your mindset, you're going to be good, you're going to be satisfied. The Stoics use it about being completely self-sufficient. Now, I'm going to show you in this verse that Paul actually changes that definition from being self-sufficient to being Jesus-sufficient. But, but let me say, he's talking about being self-sufficient here in a really significant way. And he said, I've learned in whatever situation to be content, to be satisfied, to not be in upheaval. Here's, here's a definition I think Paul is going to lay out for us in these few verses. That contentment is this. Being satisfied with whatever God sends your way because you believe that Jesus is enough. Being satisfied with whatever God sends your way because you believe that Jesus is enough. Listen, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing that he says. And even as I say that, I want to give some more clarification about what contentment means. Because I think there's some wrong views of contentment. Here's what contentment is not. Don't confuse contentment with apathy or laziness. Right? Have you, ever, have you ever met that person who they portray like I'm really content, but what they really are is they're just, they're apathetic. They don't care about anything. They're irresponsible or they're lazy. Listen, I, I've, I've met this person. They're normally 26 year old men that are living in the basement of their parents' house, playing Xbox one and smoking marijuana all the time. Um, that, that person is totally content 
where they're at. Uh, and listen, that is not the type of contentment Paul is talking about. That's actually called sinful apathy. Like it's laziness, it's, it's something else, but it is not maturity that Paul is talking about. That's not contentment. I actually have some stories about this. I actually, uh, I told you guys before that I, part of my job was I was over transitional housing for homeless men at the last church. And our transitional housing had a fence and it, was, it needed to be replaced. Well, a couple of guys one Friday night got drunk and were having a party walking around the block and they saw the fence. They ripped it all the way down and started a bonfire in the parking lot. Um, so then the cops show up because the transitional housing guys are saying, there's a bunch of crazy dudes out back. They call 911. The cops come. They arrest the dudes because they're like 25, 26 years old. So then uh, they call, the cops call the church business manager and they're like, what do you want to do? And he's like, press charges, which I'm like, all right, sweet. So I get a call about that and I'm, we're talking through it all. And so the parents bail them out of jail and then they come, they want to come and meet with me to ask about us dropping the charges about them burning the fence. All right. So, um, I, I can be a stinker sometimes. You should probably know that. Um, and so I, I, I said, I'm willing to meet with you because here's what I'm saying. Like, I don't want these guys to have something on their record. I don't want to do that to them. I, I want to give them a chance. But let me find out what's going on here because I don't want to let some punk off the hook for just ripping a fence down on Friday night and starting a barn fire. So he shows up and uh, that might have been too harsh. <laughs> I don't know. But he shows up and wants to meet with me. So I'm willing to meet with him. Uh, he comes. We meet. He goes, listen, I'm willing to build the fence. I'm like, bro, I'm sorry. We already... We, our, our dude's already built it. We already built it, fixed it, because we're not going to wait for, for four days to fix that. We fixed it, you know, within a day or two. It's already fixed. It's not what I need. He's like, what do I need to do to get you to drop these charges? I'm like, well, let me ask you a couple questions, man. Like, what's going on with you? He's like, me and my friends were out hanging out. It was, it was a Friday night. We were just, it was a mistake. I'm like, I, I get that. I get that it was a mistake. So then I started asking questions. I'm like, all right, well, here's what I'm going to do, because it seemed like he was out of out of whack. And I wanted to see how serious he was. I'm like, are you willing to meet with me just four weeks, meet with me four weeks for one hour for me to talk about um, where you're heading in life and what you're doing? Because you're 25. You don't need to be out getting drunk, ripping fences down in the middle of the night. Like you need to grow up. Like that was basically the conversation. And he, he said, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm willing to do that. I'm like, okay, well, I want to work around your school schedule, your work schedule. What's your job? He's like, I don't, I don't have a job. I'm like, okay, you going to school? He's like, no, I'm not in school right now. I do volunteer at the animal shelter. Um, <clears throat> and so here's the picture this guy paints. He's like, he's not planning on going to school. He's not planning on getting a job. Mom and dad are paying for his apartment. And so I was like, all right, uh, yeah, I'm going to meet with you 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. any day of the week. You meet me 5 a.m., 6 a.m. any day of the week. I'll meet with you for an hour, four weeks in a row. I don't care what day. You pick the day. You got to get up early and come and meet me. Uh, let me tell you what he did. He wouldn't come. He said, if you make it 11 a.m., I'll be there as many times as you want. And I said, no, it's 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. Monday, listen, I'll meet you on Sunday if you want. Sunday through Saturday, you pick a day. I'll get up early, leave my wife and kids at home, meet you at a Starbucks at the office. We'll talk for an hour about the direction of your life, but you're going to wake up early. You're going to meet me or we're not dropping the charges. We didn't drop the charges. Listen, that's not the type of apathy that Paul was saying. Man, I'm so proud of you for being content, young man, that you are content to live as a 25-year-old without direction or anything in your life. You're content smoking marijuana, getting drunk on the weekends, and burn the fence, and you're as happy as can be. That's not contentment. And in case you don't think that type of contentment isn't real, listen, people really live like this, and they're happy with it. 
That's not the contentment Paul was talking about. That, that don't confuse apathy and laziness with contentment. Secondly, it's not this emotional stoicism in the face of every circumstance. You're like this brick wall. That's not contentment that nothing phases you. Paul is not saying he's emotionless about this. There's an emotion that Paul is feeling in every circumstance, and it's joy. He's not emotionless to things. He's not lazy. He's not apathetic. He's actually emotional. He's happy and he's joyful and he's content. There's real emotion in this. It's not just stone cold. There's emotion. There's something else here. Don't confuse contentment as an absence of ambition. I feel like it's important to say that as well. And I get nervous about this. Um, because the Bible talks about sinful ambition. We talked about it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says this. Paul says, do nothing out of sinful or selfish ambition, but consider others as more important than yourself. There's, there's definitely a clear thing of selfish ambition, where, where people are just ambitious and they want to use people and get stuff. That's, that is not... Um, co- That's not the type of ambition I'm talking about. It's possible to be content and still have a form of godly ambition. And I think it's important to know that. Let me tell you some of, let me show you some of the verses where Paul talks about being ambitious. Flip over to Philippians chapter three. Look at verse eight. Here's what Paul says. I want want you to hear the ambition and desire that Paul has in Philippians three, verse eight. He says this, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or trash in order that I may gain Christ. You see ambition there? A desire to know Jesus? Look at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Or verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Like, I want you to see ambition here. Here's what the ambition that Paul has he has an ambition to know Jesus. He's not apathetic and content with not knowing and not experiencing Jesus. He wants more and more and more and more of knowing Jesus. And he's not going to stop and be satisfied until he gets more. It's a godly ambition, an ambition that burns deep in Paul's heart, that he's content with his circumstances, but he wants more of Jesus and he wants less sin. There's another passage, Romans chapter 15, verse 20. Read what Paul says here. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And listen, I want to preach the gospel where no one else has ever heard of Jesus. It's my ambition. Verse 23 of Romans 15, he says it this way. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've joined your company for a while. saying, listen, I I don't just want, there's no more room for me. Think about this. He's saying there's no more room for him in all of Turkey and the Middle East and Rome. There's no more room. I've planted like 20 churches. I don't have room here because these people have actually heard of Jesus. I need to go where there's no churches and they've never heard of Jesus. That's his ambition. 
His ambition was not just to know Jesus more and have less sin. His ambition was that other people who did not know Jesus would know Jesus and meet him and experience his good news and his gospel saving power. Listen, Paul was deeply content with his circumstances and he was deeply ambitious about knowing Jesus and making him known. He wasn't an ambitionless guy. There was a godly ambition to him that he wanted to spend his life for Jesus and for other people. I think that's one of the secrets that Paul was actually able to be content because he was not trying to get more stuff for him. He was trying to get more stuff for other people. Chuck Swindoll makes this statement about contentment. He says this, we'll miss contentment if keeping rather than releasing becomes our objective. So you're going to miss it if your objective in life is to keep, not to release things. We too often love things and use people when we should be using things and loving people. That's a, that's a phenomenal statement. Here's Paul. He's not wrapped up in his stuff. He, he's wrapped up in Jesus and knowing him and helping you and me get to know him better. And that's what Paul is totally wrapped up in. And so he's going to take the stuff that he has and he's going to use it and leverage it for you. And he's deeply content. And sometimes what happens is the exact opposite. I love what Chuck Swindoll says here. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in loving things and using people to get things. Using people to get prestige or position or power or money or whatever it is you want. We use people and love stuff. And when we have that stance, I think it can rob us of contentment. Paul was deeply ambitious about knowing Jesus and making him known. And, it, and so I just, I want to challenge that. I, I, I want you to, to ask this, this question. Uh, do you feel ambitious about knowing Jesus? Do you feel ambitious about killing sin in your life? Do, do we feel ambitious about making Jesus known to one another and to, the, to our neighbors around us? Are we ambitious about knowing Jesus and making him known? Church, we should, we should be hungry. I'm talking hungry to see people who have never heard the gospel be exposed to Jesus Christ. It should, it should be beating in our heart. There's unreached people groups all over the world who have little or no gospel access. We should be ambitious to see that change. That people in North Africa and the Middle East and Central Asia and Eastern Asia, all across that area who have little or no gospel access, people who are Muslim and Buddhist and Hindu and atheist, all along there, it should burn in our hearts to see Jesus lifted up accurately to those people. It should burn in our hearts for our neighbors to experience the love of Jesus and his church. We've got, we've got a section of Tallahassee Housing Authority who are, who are needy people, literally like a quarter mile from our church. We should be ambitious for them to know and experience the real love of Jesus. It should burn in us. We're surrounded by people who are needy all the time and we could represent Jesus to them. We should be ambitious to find ways to love people well who are struggling. And here's Paul. He's in all these crazy circumstances where he gets a lot of stuff and he's able to, to show kindness to people. But I, I got to be honest, when I think about having a lot of stuff and being content, that doesn't feel hard, but that other part where he talks about being poor and being content, I, I don't get that. Let me, let me show you what he says here. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, because this feels harder to me. 
He's, remember, he said, I've learned the secret. I've learned in whatever situation to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. Uh, listen, I know how to be like to live in really humble circumstances. And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty. And look at this. And hunger. I know how to be content when I'm hungry. I've learned the secret of being content when I have abundance and when I have need. Here's the question I'm asking. Not just how do I have ambition for Jesus, but how do I have that type of contentment? That's what we're driving to. How do I get that? This thing that Paul talks about where he doesn't know where his next meal's coming from and he is content. Man, I want that. I want that. I want that for us as a church. I woke up this morning preparing for this sermon and I just, I kept praying. I'm like, God, I, I, I want to make this, I want this driven deep into my heart and for the men and women who are here, this, I, want, I want you to do a work in our hearts that we would be con- people who are content even if we're, we're filthy rich and even if we're dirt poor. I want us to be people who have contentment regardless of our circumstances. So, so how do I get this contentment? I think there's two things that Paul lays out here. Verse, verse 12, he just said one of them. See what he said there? He said, I've learned the secret of facing plenty. I, I want you to know this. The first thing that Paul says here is that he learned it. The, the idea of learning there is not that someone sat down and taught him a lecture. The idea of learning there is that he went to the lab and he had to actually work it out in real life. That for him, there was this secret to contentment and he learned it in real life. So it wasn't that Paul one day prayed, trusted Jesus as a savior, and all of a sudden, zap! He got zap of contentment. It didn't matter what happened. It was just bouncing off of him. I don't care if you beat me, I'm content. That's, that's not exactly what happened to Paul here. He had to learn it. Like he, he literally, here's, here's what that looks like, that here's Paul, he had to learn to be content with lots of stuff. That all of a sudden he shows up in Philippi and he meets Lydia, who's super rich. And now he's staying at her huge mansion with all of her servants and endless food and security and luxury. And here's what I think this looks like for Paul. He begins to feel real happy because you know what? The last city ran me out of town and tried to kill me. And now I show up in the first town and dude, the richest lady in town, she's taking us in. Like we've got our own rooms. We've got nice beds. We've got ancient air conditioning or whatever they've got. I don't know. Like I've got as much hummus and whatever I want to eat. Like this is phenomenal. I mean, a man could learn to preach in a setting like this. And then he had to learn as he was abounding, living in Lydia's house in Philippi. He had to learn, this won't make me ultimately happy. I, I can't put my hope in this. I can almost see him saying, no, I not, Jesus makes me happy because this could all go away. It went away at every other town I've been to. It could go away tonight just like that. And if it goes away, will I be content in Jesus? Like, and he's asking the question, Jesus, you, you put me in this position of comfort and I'm abounding. How can I leverage it for other people around me? That's why you're giving me extra. You've given me extra for something. Listen, he talks about it in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, I want us to hear this. This is a phenomenal passage for us. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Look, he's writing to Timothy to tell him how to pastor people. 
And he says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You can be godly, but lack contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these will be content. But those who desire to be rich, what happens to them? You fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced them with themselves with many pains. He even says this in verse 17. As for the rich, that's most of us in this room, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Or think you're rich because you pulled this off. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't feel like you're secure because your bank account is big enough. That's an illusion of security. That can go away quickly. Teach them to set their hopes on God. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Like, like Paul learned that in abundance. He learned to be content, not with the stuff. You can actually be content when you're drowning in tons and tons and tons of stuff. And I think he preached to himself, this won't make me ultimately happy. Only Jesus will make me ultimately happy. You know when else I think he learned it? When the next week he's going to church and he sees this demon-possessed girl and he casts the demon out of her and he gets dragged into prison and all of a sudden the mansion is replaced with the prison cell. Just like that. His back is beaten. He's not secure anymore. He's thrown in the, the darkest cell. His feet are in the stocks. There's no hope for him to get out. He's been unjustly and unfairly treated. He's not in abundance. He's in pain and he's hunger and it's not fair. And then there in that prison cell, he has to remind himself, that stuff didn't make me happy. Jesus makes me happy. And he's doing something here. And listen, he gives and he takes away. And there's something that had to happen in Paul that when he was in need, he found himself content because Jesus was with him. Is that, is that enough for us, church? Is Jesus being with you, is that enough to make you content? I got to be honest. It all sounds nice, but when the rubber meets the road, when, when I feel like I'm about to lose whatever it is, I hold on dearly. Will I still be content? Will I be content when I lose it? And you go through the list of things. It doesn't have to just be money, right? You can try to be content in relationships, like it's a classic thing we say to singles all the time. Don't worry, when you stop wanting to get married, God will bring the right one, right? Uh, as a guy that was like 33 before I even came close to getting married, like it was like this, ag people would say, that, well, they stopped saying, at some point they said, what's wrong with you? And I said, nothing's wrong with me. Um, but, but there was this thing where they would just say, listen, you'll find a girl as soon as you stop wanting to date a girl. I'm like, Okay, trying that right now, nothing. Like it, it, this little sales pitch, we pitch people. But I had to wrestle with this question. Will I, be, will I be content even if Jesus never lets me get married and have kids? And now I got four kids, so I didn't even see that one coming, right? Like, but I had to answer the question. 
Because if I was not content in Jesus before marriage, Kim was not going to make me content after marriage. If she wasn't content single before she met me, listen, I'm not that good. I'm going to make you discontent real quick. You think kids will make you content? Wait till you got them keeping you up in the middle of the night, changing diapers. Even though they're cute, they, listen, they will rock your world because kids can't make you happy. And even if they can, guess what? They're going to graduate and leave the house. And then your source of contentment is gone. Listen, church, we, the thing I'm asking is, it seems crazy that I can be content if I've lost everything. How do I learn that? Well, the key is in the very next verse. It's not just that we have to learn it in the trenches. It's verse 13. This impossible thing. Contentment in the middle of hunger and need. In homelessness. In cold without food and without proper shelter and proper clothing. Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Listen, we've made this verse so much less. We've made this verse about scoring touchdowns or performing on the basketball court or performing in the boardroom or performing wherever. Like this verse is about way more than that. When Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you know what he's talking about? Being content no matter your circumstances. The, The reality is this. That you can try to learn contentment all you want, but you will not do it just by experiencing hardship or or prosperity. The way we do it is that there's a supernatural power from Jesus that enables us to be content no matter what happens. And it's so strong and can actually help you be content. That's that's the strength we're talking about here. It's not a theoretical strength and it's not a zap. You go through the trial and there's this strong, powerful Jesus next to you saying, I can do this. I can do this in you. I can make you content. It's that strong Jesus that you're all of a sudden experiencing prosperity and you think, I've got to get rid of stuff. And maybe you do, but ultimately what you need is a strong Jesus to enable you to be content even in prosperity, to not let stuff own you, to not let it grab your heart and your affections. And then when you lose that stuff and your kids graduate or you lose your job or you lose your house or you lose your health or whatever thing you love, you lose. Listen, in those moments as you're struggling through it, you need a strong and powerful Jesus who came back from the dead to help you actually be content when you've lost everything. That's crazy strong, you guys. Listen, this past week as we were doing canvassing, I went down to the basketball courts over here and uh, I was passing out flyers for the fall festival. And uh, I'm gonna be honest, it's a story of failure for me. So I talked to this one guy, uh, I was a little distracted. The smell of marijuana was strong coming out of the cars down there. Um, it was, it was potent. And, uh, so I'm walking to talk up, talk to these guys. And I'm trying to figure out why it smells so bad around here. And I start handing out these flyers to these guys and they're talking to a great man. They, they said, man, we think this is great. It's really good that you're doing stuff for the kids. You need to save those kids. Get after saving those kids because it's too late for the adults. Like adults are set in their ways, but definitely get after the kids. Do it for the kids. Protect them from this bad way that we're on. And then they all start laughing. And I'm like, ah, what do I do? (laughs) Like, ah, awkward moment. And uh, 
they said it a second time, and I was like, I don't know, Jesus is pretty strong, and then I just totally whooshed out there. I mean, it was that little, I don't know, shucks, guys. Jesus is, he's pretty neato, too. Like, it was so stupid, uh, and I totally whooshed out, and we're, we're driving back. I'm like, I know what I should have said. Like, I had this moment, so I'm going to preach it now, uh, and maybe I'll get a chance to see that dude again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to him about it and not wuss out, so um, and we drove away, and here's what I realized. I, it hit me. I was like, man, what? Jesus for kids? He is. I'm not trying to say he's not for kids. But listen, I don't know what version of Jesus we're talking about. Like Jesus is this crazy man that came and lived in the Middle East. And he stood up to the Romans and the religious elite. And he took a beating and he died on a cross for our sins. And if that wasn't strong enough, the man came back from the dead three days later. You think he's not strong enough to change an adult? What are we doing here? That's crazy strong. He can manhandle all of our sin and all of our weakness. That's the gospel. It's not just that you and I are forgiven. It's that there's power to live a brand new life in Jesus. And if he can bring a man back from the dead, he can make you and me content. He can unleash a power like we've never known in our hearts that can be satisfied regardless of how much we have or how little we have. He can make us content because he's strong. That's a type of power that we have access to because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So listen, are you content today? If not, I want you to hear this. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to walk us through a time of response. I just want to ask you, have you learned contentment with Jesus? If the answer is no, I just want you to ask him to help you be content in any of, in every circumstance. Ask him to, to walk with you in this. But it's also we take a moment like, for many of us here, we're not in need. Like, we take a moment to praise him for providing so much and ask him to protect your heart from leaning on those things. You know what I'm saying? Like, ask him to help you not lean on those things for contentment on your retirement account. Don't lean on that or your 401k, or your job, or your own ability, or your family. Thank him for that, but ask him to help it not own you. Maybe you're here today and you feel, you feel need. You, you don't know all this extra prosperity, but you know what it is to say, I, mean, I don't know how I'm paying that bill. Or I feel like I'm really close to losing it all. That relationship is on the rocks or whatever it is. Or my kids are acting like lunatics. Whatever the thing is. Listen, would you, would you take a moment? Would you say, Jesus, I need you to meet my need. But I'm also asking that you would help me be content no matter the circumstance. Listen, I, for some of you today, I, I can't help but when I talk about Jesus at the end there, about he can, he can change lives and he can, he's strong. Listen, that doesn't just apply to contentment. That applies to everything. Like if you're wrapped up in any type of sin, any type of struggle, any type of despair, listen, he is strong enough to meet your needs and to help you fight any sin that wants to dominate you. 
He's strong enough to get you through any trial. Listen, if you've been trying anything else, would you stop leaning on those things and run to Jesus to help you with your sin and your struggle? I want to remind some of you of the gospel because there may be people here who need to hear this. Here's the truth. Listen, it's not just that we all have struggles. The Bible says that we are all deeply broken and rebellious. Like it says that about me. It says that Phi as a you is a deeply broken and rebellious person. That I'm dysfunctional and, and it's not just that I need a little help. I need a complete re, revamp. I need to be overhauled. And so what God did, he said, no, listen, these people are stubborn and they deserve judgment, but instead of judgment, I'm going to give them grace and love. So he sent Jesus who died on the cross for all of my filth and all of my stubbornness, all the sin that is hidden deep in my heart and all the sin that is obvious to everyone around me. He showed grace and compassion. He came and he died on a cross and God took all of my sin and brokenness and all of your sin and brokenness and he judged Jesus for it willingly to the point that Jesus died. And that, that good news that he came back to life from the dead, he says this, Listen, if you will just place your trust in what I've done and ask me to save you, I'll come and I'll give you a new heart. I'll forgive you of your sin. I'll make you my son or daughter and I will be with you for all of eternity. I will start a work in you that no one can stop. Listen, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus, you've never had this moment where you've encountered him and asked him to save you. Can I challenge you today, whether that's here or online, all you gotta do is say, Jesus, I, I need you. And I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you came back to life three days later. And I'm asking, will you save me and will you forgive me? If you will do that, if you will repent and believe in his work on the cross, he promises that he will make you new and he will save you. In a few moments, we're gonna sing a song together. And I just want to encourage everyone. We want to sing praises to God, but at the end of this service, if God did a work in your heart, you need to speak to a pastor about anything. Our pastors will all be down front at the end of our service. We would love to talk to you about your walk with God, about any struggles that you're having. Uh, we would love to pray with you. Um, we would love to pray that God would make all of us more content in Jesus and that we would experience his life-changing power. Do you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we confess that our hearts are fickle, that discontentment is just constantly chasing after us. Maybe not for everyone in this room, but I know that that's true for me. And God, we come to you. We, God, we say, would you help us be content? Would you make us content people? Would, would, would you make it in such a way that it's actually done by the power of God in our hearts, that, it, that it's, we're content regardless of our circumstances. And the only thing that makes sense is that Jesus did a powerful work in us. God, make us those people. God, I pray for the people here who would be struggling today, the people who would, who would need encouragement. I, I pray you would encourage their hearts that we would leave here today, not only being content, but believing that you are strong enough to kill sin and to change our hearts. Jesus, we're asking you to work. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.